Hey, Bankless Nation, welcome to another State of the Nation episode. We've got a really interesting topic for you to cover. This is the first, I think, in crypto history, maybe Ethereum history. Uh, the acquisition of Prismatic Labs by Offchain Labs. This is Arbitrum, a layer two, acquiring an Ethereum core development team, a core client team. That's what we're here to talk about. David, what are we getting into today? Yeah, I didn't know that this was possible. Uh, I don't think anyone <laughs> would realize like, oh yeah, you could acquire uh, a client. Um, and so this is what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, why exactly did Arbitrum acquire a client, a layer one client? What does that do for Arbitrum? Uh, what does that do for Prismatic Labs and Prism? Uh, what is the future of Prism? Is Prism staying the same? Is it changing? Uh, what's the future of Arbitrum? Is that staying the same? Is that changing? Uh, and there's also some broader questions as well. Uh, I, I remember, Ryan, during the depths of the bear market 2018 to 2020, the Ethereum world was plagued by how do we fund our open source software teams, our open mm. source layer ones? Uh, does Arbitrum, with the acquisition of Pr uh, Prismatic Labs, bring an answer to that table? Uh, do we like that answer? Are there costs and trade-offs with that answer of a commercial entity acquiring a, client, a layer one client team? Uh, so there's a discussion here. Uh, there's uh, many, many other things to discuss. Is like, what does this do to the Arbitrum tech stack? Uh, and overall, what is the win-win between Prismatic Labs and Offchain Labs? Uh, so these are the things we are all going to explore here on the State of the Nation today. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think maybe the answer to the question is uh, Layer 2 will help fund the development yeah. of, of Layer 1. That seems to be what's going on today. Uh, full disclosure, as we get in, we do these disclosures at the beginning of every episode. I invested in Arbitrum. I don't think David did. So, uh, David, you, you could play the role of uh, bad, cop, yeah, bad cop, I guess. <laughs> um, Arbitrum is also currently a bankless sponsor. Um, Preston and David are super good friends and hang out a lot. David, did you write that in the agenda? Yeah, that is my disclaimer. Preston All right, and I are disclaimers. Friends. <laughs> okay. I guess that's a disclaimer. Maybe we should have a friend's disclosure page, but um, David would have to basically put everyone in crypto because <laughs> he loves everyone. Uh, anyway, you can always find access to our disclosures in the show notes. We'll try to mention them at the top of every episode, but they're always published bankless.com slash disclosures. Also, before we get in, want to tell you about our friends and sponsors at Push. What you know about something cool. So Push is an app for Ethereum, for Polygon as well. And it answers questions like this. David, have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and you've been like, oh my God, is my ENS about to expire? Like the, the five, the 10 I have, like, hmm, when was the expiration date? Did I set that for a year? Or was that like five years? Or even like questions like, is my collateral okay? Right. Yeah, make that's your the DGen answer. It's like, did you yeah. wake up in the morning like, am I liquidated? <laughs> <laughs> well, did you know Push actually provides you a way to get notified uh, for when these things happen? So, for example, Ethereum ENS name renewals. You can opt in using Push, connect your wallet, download the browser extension, uh, download the mobile app, and you can opt into all sorts of notifications, including uh, MakerDAO. Uh, these are governance updates, but also uh, collateral ranges as well. Is your Uniswap pool out of range? Have you stopped making money? You can get notified about that. Uh, David, what else should we tell them about Push? Yeah, overall, it's just something we need to start to mimic the Web2 UX. Uh, something that Web2, that's what UX is what they've optimized for. And it's actually really hard to get push notifications out of the Ethereum protocol. These things don't really work very well. Uh, so that is why Push is here to cover that gap. And especially as we get into the world of the metaverse, where there are many, many, many other types of notifications coming down the pipeline to explain to us what's going on in this digital world we're building, we're going to need something like Push to actually push 
notifications to our mobile devices uh, in a Web3 manner. That's right. Take it from a robot like me. You want robots working for you. You don't have to do all the work yourself. Uh, hire them. Uh, so click the link in the show notes. You'll find out more about that. Okay. Why are we talking about this today, David? What is the overall significance and what should listeners pay attention to as we talk to Stephen from Arbitrum and Offchain Labs and Preston from Prismatic? Yeah, overall, it's, it's kind of what I said in the intro. There is, uh, we perhaps have found an answer to perpetual layer one client development. Uh, there are synergies between a layer two who needs tech and needs software that's similar to layer one. Uh, and so there's actually some sort of like elegance behind the acquisition of a layer one client team by a layer two. Uh, how sustainable is this? Can other people copy this model? Are we actually incentivizing more client teams to be built if we can like kind of show them that there might be a payday at the end of this and how good is that uh, all of these are things are important questions i actually ryan in my time at defcon asked uh, vitalik buterin this question in a little micro interview that is currently in the hands of the bankless editors uh so vitalik's take will slow uh, shortly be up on the bankless youtube as oh, soon as we can get you're not even gonna tell us uh, no just no, I'm tease it yeah i'm just teasing <sighs> it uh because uh, uh, I was so chaotic that week that I can't remember what his answer was. Uh, so. <laughs> well, I've been appropriately teased, sir, because uh, I, I don't recall you mentioning it to me either. Guys, we'll be right back this episode with uh, Stephen and Preston talking about Arbitrum's acquisition of Prismatic. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Arbitrum One is pioneering the world of secure Ethereum scalability and is continuing to accelerate the Web3 landscape. Hundreds of projects have already deployed on Arbitrum One, producing flourishing DeFi and NFT ecosystems. With the recent addition of Arbitrum Nova, gaming and social dApps like Reddit are also now calling Arbitrum home. Both Arbitrum One and Nova leverage the security and decentralization of Ethereum and provide a builder experience that's intuitive, familiar, and fully EVM compatible. On Arbitrum, both builders and users will experience faster transaction speeds with significantly lower gas fees. With Arbitrum's recent migration to Arbitrum Nitro, it's also now 10 times faster than before. Visit Arbitrum.io where you can join the community, dive into the developer docs, bridge your assets, and start building your first dApp. With Arbitrum, experience Web3 development the way it was meant to be. Secure, fast, cheap, and friction-free. The Brave Wallet is your secure multi-chain on-ramp into Web3 and is built directly into the Brave privacy browser. Gone are the days of managing multiple wallet extensions that put you at risk of phishing, spoofs, and tracking. With the Brave Wallet, you can securely manage your crypto assets across more than 100 different chains, including Ethereum, Layer 2s, Solana, and more, all without downloading risky extensions. The Brave Wallet is easy to set up and removes the headache of jumping between wallets and extensions. It's lightweight, but packed with great features like built-in token swaps, buying and holding NFTs with a gallery view, and support for hardware wallets. But also much more than that, because Brave is shipping new features every single month with a mission to make Web3 easier to navigate for its over 55 million users. Wallet extensions are a thing of the past. So get started with Brave's Web3 Ready browser today and experience a decentralized web seamlessly without all the clutter. You can download the browser at brave.com bankless and click the wallet icon to get started. If you've been listening to Bankless, you know that we're fans of the modular blockchain thesis. The idea that blockchains will separate execution from data availability and consensus, allowing all three to become the best versions of themselves. And Fuel has built the fastest modular execution layer in the industry. By supporting parallel transaction execution, Fuel unlocks significantly faster throughput for the Web3 world. Fuel also goes beyond the limitations of the EVM with its own Fuel VM 
which is more efficient and optimized, opening up the design space for developers. And lastly, Fuel brings a powerful developer experience with its own domain-specific language, Sway, and a supportive tool chain called Fork. With Fuel, you can have the benefits of smart contract languages like Solidity while adopting the improvements made by the Rust tooling ecosystem, letting the Fuel development environment go beyond the limitations of the EVM. If you want to learn more, there's a link in the show notes to see how you can get involved with the Fuel network. We are back, guys. A Layer 2 team has bought a Layer 1 client development team on Ethereum. We're here to talk about it. This, of course, is the Off-Chain Labs, aka Arbitrum, acquisition of Prism. Uh, is, I think, the the main, the top Ethereum uh, 2. used to be called Ethereum 2. Beacon Chain, consensus client, I should say. We have the two folks that know the most about what has just happened. We've had them both on the podcast, though previously they've been on different teams and now they're on the same team, part of the same family. Of course, we're all the Ethereum family, I guess, but it's great to have you back. Uh, Steven Goldfeder. Steven is, of course, the co-founder and CEO of Offchain Labs, the team that's building Arbitrum and Preston Van Loon, is the co-founder of Prismatic Labs, a leading Ethereum L1 client, one of the first organizations to start actually writing code for ETH 2.0. And boy, I remember it well when you guys stepped up to the plate and volunteered for that. It was awesome. Uh, first of all, I just want to say congratulations on this arrangement, on this acquisition. It seems like a pretty good match. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, uh, I definitely agree. It seems like a great match and we're super excited about it. Well, we're yeah. going to get into it. Um, and um, also, I want to ask too, because I know you're both at DevCon and uh, that was just, was that just last week, David? Uh, that was just week. last week. And actually, I was talking to Stephen before you came on. Stephen was actually not at DEF CON. So actually, it was just me, oh, you weren't? Me, okay. me and Preston at DEF CON. So yeah. the guy who wasn't at DEF CON is, is saying you were both at DEF CON. He doesn't know <laughs> anything about it. So what, David, why don't you ask the DEF CON question? <laughs> yeah, I'll Preston, how was your DEF CON? <laughs> oh, it was amazing. You guys should have been there. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Um, well, why don't we start talking about um, Arbitrum and Prismatic then? So, um, Stephen, like, how did this come about, first of all? And uh, what do you see as the, as the big win for both the organizations here? Yeah, so the way it came about is we got to know the Prismatic team uh, pretty well over the course of the past uh, several months or many months at this point. And um, the more time we spent together, starting virtually, then we actually had in-person sessions. Uh, the more it just made sense and we realized that we thought about a lot of things uh, in the same way. Um, in terms of our vision, our vision is you know to scale Ethereum and its roll-up centric roadmap and that requires obviously layer one components and layer two components and we had a lot of the same shared goals and even personal interests, the things that got us excited, the conversations, the whiteboarding sessions, the you might say the nerd out sessions, you know we did a lot of those and it was uh, super super exciting and you know we um, really um, just meshed together and, and it felt right and as those conversations uh as those conversations move forward we basically um you know said hey we, we could accomplish a lot by by joining forces and by uh working on solving this problem together and, and you know the thing that we in a, in, a, in a very broad way the thing that we accomplish is we're really very much you know working towards the same goal from different angles of course working on different parts of this puzzle and different parts of this problem we have lots of shared experiences and lots of different experiences that we can apply and uh, you know to one another's domain and it just felt right and felt like we really were values wise aligned and everything else just sort of fell into place 
I'm sure there's a, a, a great dating metaphor here, so I'll, I'll, I'll lean into this a little bit more. So now that you guys are together, uh, what was the dating process like from your side of things, Preston? What, what was it like to, to begin these conversations? And overall, like, uh, wh why, how did these conversations get triggered in the first place? Like, uh, I think everyone, when we heard the announcement, was like, oh, uh, you can acquire a layer one client team? Uh, who had this idea and how did these conversations progress? Why'd you just wipe right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, with with the merge finally happening, we were wondering, so what is what is the next, you know, highest impact work that Prismatic Labs can do? And our, our mission since the beginning has been scaling. Um, so we, we started looking at the roadmap, taking a look and saying, what is the like longer term vision for for Prismatic and, and how do we further our impact and, and really be uh, help you know make Ethereum be a thing that goes fast, it's cheap. Um, so we started thinking about the role of Centric Roadmap, the sort of the direction that we're all going. And with that, we reached out to the Off-Chain Labs team and said, you know, hey, we have some ideas for a collaboration. What do you guys think about this? We got EIP uh, 4844 for data sharding coming out. And it, 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 it makes sense to have a closer relationship. And like Stephen was saying, the, the more, I guess, dates we went on, the, the, the better we all felt about it. And, and uh, uh, towards the end, we're like, wow, this is a really cool idea and a really cool relationship that's forming. And we are so aligned on the same uh, uh, vision of scaling Ethereum that, that it really makes sense to you know, not only have a close relationship because of the role of Citric Future, but also to you know, be working together because there are things that, that we think we do well, and we know there are a lot of amazing things that uh, off-chain labs as well. And having that kind of synergy and, and, and sharing knowledge and talent, it, it just, you know, it, it's for the greater good. So we are really excited to, to, um, to be joining forces with off-chain. So what are the big wins on the Prismatic Labs side of things? Like Preston, what, what do you and Raul and all the members of the Prismatic Labs, what's the big W here for you guys? Well, the, the, the big win that we have is that uh, the support from off-chain is, is, is massive, right? We have some resources that are a much bigger organization um, that can help us sort of offload a lot of the tasks that, that aren't core development. Uh, I think the big thing that Raul and I learned over the last like, five years is that uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done, a lot of unfun work that comes with, I guess, running a business. Prismatic Labs is a business. and we have to think constantly about funding. We have to think about, you know, what is our, our like purpose, like our bigger place in the community, like long-term vision, especially after the merge where uh, it, it's a very different world. So um, right away, we, we've got a bunch of time back. Uh, we can leverage some of the resources capacity with, with off-chain labs. Um, we have a bigger talent pool now we can share, uh, knowledge and brains between off-chain and prismatic uh, working on the prism client you know the big takeaway here is that um, we get to continue working on prism and do it even more of a focused fashion that's the big win that 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 really helped us you know rationalize this say this is the right thing to do we're, we're all scaling and 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 right away we can realize the benefit even just this week does this, um, how does this benefit the Ethereum community uh, then, Preston, do you think? Is it, is it kind of linked to that? So you have now more time to focus on actually building. You and Raul and the rest of the team can actually focus on kind of like building the next feature set for Ethereum. Maybe, um, you know, shipping things like uh, EIP 4844 
um, faster potentially, like you're less, like, you know, have more focus on that. Is that, is this a win for the community? And so, you know, zooming out from prismatic labs, what would you say about uh, the win for Ethereum here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, from the core development side, the layer one side, we get to iterate faster, uh, to be more focused in our, in our work. And then in the bigger picture, the longer term, we're all scaling Ethereum here. So, um, that helps the Ethereum community in, in the bigger picture. One, one quick, uh, you know, question I had uh, for you, Preston, was about like initially how Prismatic was funded, because I think some people don't know the full history of this, like, um, you know, some listening might be kind of old enough in, in their Ethereum lore to kind of remember the, you know, the dark days maybe of uh, 2019, where you didn't have much direction in terms of this thing we called ETH2 and sharding and, um, you know, wasn't even called the merge back then, but proof of stake. And um, Prismatic was a team that in the early days, I think you and Raul kind of stepped up to the plate, but there wasn't a business model for this. Like there wasn't, um, as I remember it now, you were there, you could, you could tell me, but there weren't a lot of VCs that were really excited about writing checks for something that already had a token. I mean, you're developing for a token that already exists. It's called ETH. Why don't you launch your own layer one with its own token? And, you know, that's how we kind of make, so you're doing almost like this, this public good. And as I recall in the early days, Prismatic was uh, very much grant funded. Um, and I don't know if, um, if that was difficult at times, I can imagine it was like, like knowing what the funding source was. Can you walk us through those early days and some of the, uh, you know, maybe the struggles that, that you saw with the, the existing model for Prismatic? Yeah. So we, we were one of the first teams to start working on ETH2 as it was previously called. We wanted to help bring sharding to the Go Ethereum client. That was really the initial vision uh, with Prismatic Labs. And this started at the beginning of 2018, around January, and it was right around the time that the Ethereum Foundation announced that they had a grants program. We applied for the grants program. We, we made it to the first round uh, to, to our surprise. Um, you know, Raul and I kind of uh, just had met on the Internet and said, you know, here's an opportunity where we're two new people to to the community who haven't really contributed in any meaningful way. So what's the. I don't know the biggest, highest impact thing we could do, and that was to to work on sharding and help scale Ethereum. Uh, proof of stake was already in a test net at the time with uh, Casper. Um, it, the designs of that had really changed since then, but throughout 2018, we were really just sort of working as a moonlight project, and and there was a bit of funding, and that was exciting, but it wasn't ever at least in 2018, it wasn't enough for us to to quit our jobs and to to dive headfirst in, into crypto. We were all kind of new, you know, to crypto, so we didn't have uh, a whole lot of you know, finances in the, in the same way that people who found Bitcoin in the beginning did. Uh, so we were really just doing it for fun. We didn't think we'd make any money out of this, um, which became a struggle when when the need for scaling the need for working on this became higher in demand and, and we really wanted to do it throughout that whole year. We did, you know, had a really awesome journey where the community came out and said, we're going to support public goods. And, and this talk about, you know, how do we support public goods and, 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 and finance these things that we all need to, to, uh, to scale Ethereum, right? The, 
the Prism project is an open source free software. Anyone can use it. It's fully transparent. It's always out there. It will never cost you money. It will never be something you have to pay for. It's free to use, uh, which is a really hard uh, model to sell, right? Like you just talk about having venture capital, you know, they say win, win Prism token. And that was never an interest mm-hmm. of ours. Um, and then the, there were distractions like, okay, well, we, you know, grants may not be forever, especially towards the end of India of 2018, when Ethereum went from like $1,400 to, to under hundred dollars. That was a really hard time. But, um, and we had distractions like, oh, should we do like, you know, we're a block, could, should we expand to be a blockchain shop and, and really work on other L2s or other L1s and, and just try to get some revenue through that. Uh, but we said to ourselves, like, Ethereum is the best positioned, and this is amazing technology. We really want to just focus on that and, and minimize distractions. Uh, thankfully, with gr- the grants from the Ethereum Foundation, community support, uh, even the signal from Vitalik himself when we complained uh, publicly that, that we had funding, but it wasn't enough to, to go full time. He sent us a thousand Ether from his own personal wallet, and this is called the, the YOLO grant. Um, at the time, that was $100,000. So it, it, it was not uh, a whole lot in the big picture, but it was a, a huge confidence boost. We said that, okay, if we do this, the community and, and, and notable figures in it are, are not going to let us fail for something as, as trivial as uh, uh, funding reasons. Like, we will figure it out. So 2019, uh, all of us quit our, our, our jobs. Some of us had pretty nice jobs and took the leap. And, and even you got a job on, at Google, Preston. I, yeah, yeah, I was working at, at Google, and that's a really comfortable job uh, where you can do a lot. You can have a lot of impact. Um, but the uh, the problems are at Ethereum scaling are so attractive. They're so hard that 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 we couldn't stop thinking about it. I, I was like waking up hours before work and doing work and then staying up late and working on it. Um, it was our passion. So with all of these things combined, you know, we were able to take that leap. Um, but over the years, like it still was in the back of our mind, like, okay, well, we were funded by grants, which is not sustainable, right? Like they, thankfully they kept coming and the people responsible for, for grants were managing their money well. So that was nice, but, uh, we still had no product to sell. We had no revenue. we never really did any like consulting for, for anybody or really took any other outside jobs or anything like that or or considered doing a token um but it was a distraction to have to think about and now we don't have those sort of distractions we have uh support from off chain we can really focus on getting back to work and i think this is the big takeaway from the ethereum community because of course the the prism client isn't going away like and in fact actually there's more labor hours that are able to be poured into the prism client uh, and I would imagine, like Preston, you you are the co-founder of Prismatic Labs, you and Raul, and so I would imagine you had to like do like normal HR stuff and like pay people salaries and things that you wouldn't really consider a dev to do. Uh, but Arbitrum, I'm sure, probably has like an HR person, right, right, Stephen? And so like now, now yeah. like uh, <laughs> we can offload a lot of that same labor onto Arbitrum's <laughs> HR person, and we can share that same resource between this layer two team and this layer one client. Uh, and so, uh, Stephen, I, I want to get into your head, but just one last question to uh, to round this story out on Preston's side. 
uh, pressing, like, uh, what what happens next for the Prism team? Like, are you actually gonna are you gonna hire more? Like, what, can you? How has this impacted the trajectory of the Prism client? Uh, what, what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, uh, in, in the short term, it's uh, full steam ahead, right? We have uh, ten uh, or maybe eleven amazing engineers that work on the Prism client, and we have. Uh, a lot of great work to do. Um, so that all stays the same. Uh, I think that, well, I know that off-chain is hiring and that, you know, Prism is now an off-chain uh, uh, project. So um, we'll have uh, uh, be able to tap into a larger engineering talent pool and, and really build. Um, at the same time, there are really exciting problems at off-chain as well. So there's a bit of cross-collaboration between the Prism team, Arbitrum team, um, and, and with that, being that we can all sort of get together faster, get there faster. And my intuition is that uh, probably salaries have gone up, right? And so motivations to, to build on this thing also increase competitive market rates, less distractions, stuff like that too. Yeah, exactly. We're no longer on the core dev salary. Yeah. <laughs> we can uh, we can enjoy the, the, the benefits that uh, Opchain provides. It's really nice. Uh, it's really cool. It's, I guess notoriously, I mean, you work for a public good and uh, Ethereum and, you know, uh, government jobs don't pay really well, right? So this is, um, you know, it, it, got, it got to be definitely better in the best of both worlds. I, I'm curious, Stephen, from your perspective, maybe speaking for Offchain Labs and for Arbitrum. So, so how do you see this? Is this kind of like Arbitrum's contribution to public goods? Is it Arbitrum's contribution to Ethereum? Obviously, the success of... Um, of Arbitrum is very much dependent on uh, the success of Ethereum and, and kind of the layer one itself. So is this just kind of a way to, to pay it forward? Uh, or, and maybe it's not an or, maybe it's an end question. Um, what's in it for Arbitrum? What's in it for off-chain labs to do this? Is this completely altruistic or is there uh, an incentive at play here? Great question. It's definitely um, a bit of both, right? So absolutely. Um, we think that it's critical to continue funding the development of Prism, and you know we're committed. Prism, um, you know, will con continue to be developed exactly as it was, fully open source, and um, with as much or more resources as was before. You know, as many resources as Prism needs, you know, developers and needs, we will we will make sure that that, that need is filled. Um, so in our end, so absolutely, you know, there's not like it's not like we're you know. We're joking about a Prism token. It's not like we're taking Prism and looking to monetize it, attaching a token to it or anything like that. Prism will remain exactly as it was, and it'll be an open source project to the benefit of the community. And and one of many, of course. There are, there's a you know, client diversity is, is important, and that will be um, you know uh, one you know definitely our contribution where we where we can participate in the community. But more broadly, um, it's also um, a starting point for our contribution to the community. And you know we mentioned, for example, EIP forty eight four four and that is something which um, obviously some of the prison, prison team, you know, Terrence in particular and others are very, very involved, involved with. And, you know, we have been involved in some of those conversations, um, you know, even before the, um, the acquisition. And now we'll be not only continuing to contribute the prismatic resources that were, uh, that, that, that were there and those we will, of course, continue to support prismatics work on, on these important uh, EIPs and beyond. We'll also be saying, you know, and already having these internal working groups where there's knowledge sharing and saying, hey, how can, how can other off-chain engineers contribute to, contribute to this as well? So there's... I think you'll see more contributions over time for us um, to not only continuing Prism's work, but also um, continuing to support that and adding uh, engineering capacity to that as well. But to the second part of your question, 
Um, I think there absolutely, absolutely are synergies and things that we can do together better than, you know, the, the sum is better than, uh, or the whole is better than the sum of its parts. Probably just messed that up, but you know what I mean? <laughs> that expression. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, uh, you know, I focused before on how we have all these similarities and thinking about things the same way. But we also have very, very different experiences. Uh, working on a layer one client and working on a layer two um, are very different. Um, you know, they have great engineers, great, we have great engineers working on both of them, but very different. And just looking over our shoulders and bringing ideas from one domain to the other, I think could be incredibly valuable. And we're already beginning to see that. Hey, you know, what about this Arbitrum guy? So you thought of that. Hey, Prism, why does this work in this way? Um, you know, have you thought of this? And it's just very technical conversations, but often these, you know, just shining the light from a slightly different angle is, is very valuable. And because we're aligned on the same goals, right? We all want to, you know, as Preston said, their goal early on was scaling. And um, our goal is, of course, scaling, but it's also more broadly building out Ethereum's roll-up centric roadmap and scaling is key to Ethereum. And key to the Ethereum's roadmap is having a strong layer one and strong and a strong layer two. I think we're really aligned in that and, and just the synergies of working together and putting that brain power together is going to be um, very beneficial even for non, even for, uh, you know, for making both of our products better. And so this is uh, what I'm hearing from you, Stephen, is this is uh, largely an aqua hire where you are putting the Prism team like proximate or adjacent to the Arbitrum tech stack. Maybe there's not a particular problem or like nut to crack that you need the Prism team for, but overall you kind of think that having the, uh, the Prism team around the Arbitrum tech stack might produce some sort of serendipity that might help improve the Arbitrum tech uh, just by having these guys like just you know, in the same like Slack channel or Discord or whatever you guys use it at Arbitrum. Is that kind of a summary? Yeah, so I think you know it's, it's it's you know there's obviously in the early days it's it's very much of the um, you know being in the channels together. But I think over time there will be you know um, much more organized cross uh, you know um, cross domain um, collaborations as we think about these problems. And and um, while the talent and the amazing team, you know Preston and Rahul and the rest of their amazing team is obviously a big part of it, um, it's definitely an acquisition in the sense that we're super excited to take the Prism product and, and and you know and continue to fund that and continue to to make sure that stays well funded and that's our commitment. So um, I, I, yeah, I think you know we think of it very very much as an acquisition. Um, we're we're uh, we're continuing to develop and committed to develop Prism as a client and committed to um, you know giving it all the resources that it has already, and continuing to fulfill its resource needs, and also obviously the amazing team that. Prismatic Labs have assembled. We're super excited to work on them, um, both to have them continue to develop Prism, but also to uh, work together with them on this shared roadmap and on the future. You know, the future, the future to um, to executing this roadmap will include layer one initiatives like data sharding, layer layer two initiatives, and I think um, thinking about those things together will be very valuable, not only for us but for the community as a whole. Yeah, what I do, what I do think is obviously so the the future of Ethereum is the you know the execution layers in layer two right consensus layers you know down in the stack the you know, uh, uh, Prism Prismatic and, and and team is one example of a consensus layer client. There has been this cr criticism of core devs, and I I don't think it's uh, totally warranted, but like uh, oh core devs are not they're disconnected from the app layer or from kind of the execution layer right. And like, I think, um, you know, the consensus layer core dev folks would argue, well, like the, the apps don't understand what we, what we deal with and what we go through. And what's nice about this is this, um, brings together a bit of kind of like shared, shared learnings from kind of the consensus layer and an execution layer, like, like layer two. And I see that advantage 
I also see the advantage of um, you know, being able for, um, I guess, you know, for the sake of Ethereum, shipping uh, EIPs like 4844 that much faster. And of course, uh, EIP 4844 is proto-dank sharding. It's going to make uh, layer twos much cheaper. It's a, it's a boom to the layer two ecosystem uh, for sure. And this is um, in the, the best advantage of uh, like the, this is um, I, I think a shared goal of everyone in Ethereum, everyone who builds apps, everyone who's doing layer twos, like just everyone in Ethereum has the shared goal. I guess part of my question though, Stephen, comes with like, um, so we have shared goals like getting EIP 4844 done. Clearly that's good for the Ethereum community. It's also good for layer twos and that's great. Win, 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 we all win. What happens if in the future, there's some EIP or there's some uh, feature or there's something that starts to conflict with something that maybe off-chain labs wants or Arbitrum wants. And like the consensus, the social consensus layer, the good of the wider Ethereum community. There has been some uh, concern or question with this for all of the benefits, a concern about maybe a loss of credible neutrality of the Prismatic team. And I wanna hear uh, Stephen on this. Uh, respond to to maybe some of these questions, uh, and then also also Preston. But what do you think about this, uh, Stephen? Is this uh, is this a realistic? Is this a valid concern? Um, and um, you know, to to any extent that it is, um, what are some ways to to sort of mitigate this? Great question. So I think uh, in the abstract, it's a very very fair question to ask. Uh, absolutely, like it's a very fair question to say, you know, what if hypothetically there is um, some po point where um, Arbitrum's goals are different than uh, maybe a standalone client, client standalone client, standalone client's goals would be. Extremely fair, fair question to ask, and and my answer to that would be, um, you know, we are committed to um, continuing to develop Prism, Prism um, as a neutral client. By neutral, we mean where um, we have a people of integrity on both sides of this deal, and this was literally part of the. Of the other structure, you know, we, we we thought about these questions and we said, you know, Prism will remain neutral. It will not push uh, off-chain labs uh, interests in any way that's uh, sort of um, detrimental to the community if those things uh, would arise. So we're fully committed to that. And you might say, "Hell, oh, hey, how do you, how do you, how do you, you know, obviously you have to trust the integrity of the, of the people, but of course, you know, these are the same people that were building Prism beforehand. You know, you heard Pre Preston's story and in our hand, our story hand as well. Um, you know we are absolutely committed committed to that goal and we'll be operating prism prism as such the second thing i'll say is though despite all that being true um you know that i say if it arises i i actually can't think today you know we are very very much aligned on the goal of making ethereum the best layer one right um which it is but continuing to develop ethereum and continuing to um, develop, develop Ethereum layer one, layer two, and execute on the role of centric roadmap so if i actually you know when i've had this conversation with people and i say what are those things that that like you know off chain arbitrage might push? Um, you know, we're hard pressed to find examples of the, of those today. To be honest, I think we really are aligned, and that is is a is a is a, a big focus. That alignment is there, and I actually can't think of of things today that um, you know would really advantage us. There are things that would advantage layer twos generally, like EIP forty eight four four, which we're all we're all working on, and you know, and we're already reaching over the aisle and you know both ways and working with our competitors on. And I think that's great for the Ethereum community. Um, so I'm not sure what those things are, but I'm also not not saying that those things can arise today. I don't know what those things are, but absolutely, if those things do arise, we are um, fully um, fully committed to operating Prism neutrally, you know, and and the community will hold us in check and make sure that we do that. But we're pretty confident that we will. Awesome. And 
Stephen, on the community holding in check, I want to get Preston weigh in on this. But like, first of all, um, is is Prism always going to remain open source? Because like one of the the constant checks that, of course, the open source community has and the crypto community has is we have the right to fork. And so, let's say bad scenario happens, and somehow like you guys turn evil or something like this. And this is what crypto teaches us: uh, you know, verify, don't don't trust. Well, couldn't we just, as long as it's open source? Uh, fork Prism code, have a new set of of developers continue it on in a different direction, uh, and um, like you know pick pick up the project uh, where it left off. Um, can you talk a little bit about commitment to to open source ethos and kind of the the right to fork uh, being ever present with uh, with Prism? Um, yes, uh, absolutely. So Prism will remain fully open source under the same under the same license. And uh, the right to fork is is absolutely will be maintained, and you know that was um, you know um, you know not to go too into the details of how this emerged, but the first the very first time there was a document produced, um, initially produced by the Prism team, uh, that principle was was in there, and that was literally never something that was ever discussed past that. It was both sides said yes, of course, that is something that we're committed to, and and that won't change. So, you know, so, so there are signatures on paper that say Prism will always remain open source. So that yes, that 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 was the yeah, that that is the foundation of the entire um, deal documents. I'm not going to pretend that I that I read the entirety of the <laughs> <laughs> this turned into, but in the, but back in the in the in the uh, the documents that were uh, digestible to uh, you know in full to someone like me, yes, absolutely. Um, that was you know one of the core principles that we that we that we built this deal deal on. That Prism has to remain neutral. The Prism Discord will also continue to remain separate, by the way, from the off-chain labs Discord to make sure that that community has a voice that's separate from ours as well. Because when you say how do we keep the community in check, well, making sure there's a forum for that to happen and that forum continues is going and we don't sort of crush that forum. Not that we would again, again you know, it's sort of kind of strange to have these conversations because like we're imagining that we're the bad, the bad guy, but it's it's a very good conversation to have. But but I do also just want to put that disclaimer in like we are very much Ethereum aligned, like, um, you know, Arbitrum had its legitimacy by itself on its own by building a layer two um, in a way that, you know, um, was very much tech first, is tech first, and we delivered on that, and we continue to deliver on that. And this is taking two high integrity teams that are very much aligned, and there is no bad guy here. Right. Uh, that being said, it's a fair question to someone from the outside saying, "But what if you become bad? What if you are acquired or this? You know, are there protections in place?" And the answer is, um, absolutely, there are those uh, there are those protections protections in place and and we will continue to make sure that those and, and these are you know not not different from the principles and values that we're committed to in, in general and nothing changed and like I said that point was in our initial document and it was liver, literally never like negotiated or debated this was um obvious from from both sides that this is what we want and we all and that was some of the initial alignment that we saw that made this um easy to come together Preston could you weigh on this because I know this is very important to you as well yeah, you know, we we built Prism based on transparency, and that's not going to change, right? The the principles that we had that brought made you know the Prism client so successful, those continue on, and we push those forward and 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 continue to advocate for transparency, open source is free forever, uh, those kind of key principles. The cool part about the way that Ethereum is built, um, you know, we do have to think about these questions, like what would happen if if Prism went away for whatever reason, well, 
that's why that we have this insurance policy of multi-client client diversity. Um, last year, this may have been a, a, a bit of a bigger issue when Prism was uh, like 75% of the network. Uh, thankfully, it's a much smaller amount today. It's, uh, I don't know, 30%, 35%, something like that. Um, and what that means is, you know, Prism is not like the the authority on, on core <laughs> development, right? It's not the only player in the game. Uh, in fact, there's only so much that we can influence uh, as, as a team without the significant buy-in of the rest of the core development um, community. Um, so with that, it's like, you know, Ethereum is resilient to, to like when we think of threat modeling about Ethereum, it is resilient to these kind of things. Like what if, what if a core development team went rogue or disappeared or just shut it down one day and rugged everybody? Well, you have awesome alternatives as well. We're not going to do that. Obviously we love working on this stuff. It is, it is an immense privilege to, to be building for Ethereum and to be building on such high impact software. But we do think about that. We question ourselves. We make sure that we're doing the right thing always and sticking to the, the values, virtues, and, and mission of Ethereum and, and what the Ethereum community wants and deserves. And so this conversation thus far has brought up uh, some memories. I, I, I has triggered some memories of my conversation with Vitalik. Uh, and so I want to bring up some of the, uh, the angles that I discussed with him here at DevCon about this particular acquisition and his thoughts on that. But I'll share those for after we get back from talking to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Sequence is the all-in-one developer platform you need to build Web3 games and applications. For your users, Sequence is a smart wallet and it's the easiest, most intuitive onboarding your users will ever experience and comes with all the features users need to feel empowered in the Web3 world. Multi-chain support, NFT display, and users can buy SFTs, NFTs, and crypto directly with a credit or debit card. For developers, Sequence is the plug-and-play platform for Web3 games and apps. Their APIs let you bring NFTs, SFTs, and tokens tokens into your game or application. And a Sequence Relayer enables gasless transactions for your users. Sequence already powers some of the best Web3 games like Skyweaver, NFT projects like CoolCats, and marketplaces like NiftySwap. And Sequence is compatible with all the EVM chains, including Ethereum, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, Arbitrum, Optimism, and Avalanche. So go to sequence.xyz to get started unlocking the full potential of your application today. The reality today is that five corporations control the entire world of social media. They own our names, they restrict our content, they monitor our every move. And their time is up, thanks to our sponsor, Deso. Deso is a layer one blockchain built from the ground up to decentralize and scale social networks. With Deso, you can own your own identity, content, and social graph, and take it with you across hundreds of applications already built on the censorship resistant Deso blockchain. Deso's storage advantages make it finally possible to build infinite state applications applications that can efficiently store and index large amounts of content and data fully on-chain. Deso also offers multiple crypto-native monetization primitives for developers and creators, including social NFTs, social DAOs, social tokens, and social tipping. So in order to experience the social layer of Web3, go to Deso.com and claim your username. That's D-E-S-O.com. TruFi is DeFi's largest credit protocol, connecting global lenders with institutional-grade lending opportunities. TruFi has completed over $1.7 billion in originations and paid out nearly $35 million to lenders, proving that DeFi is ready to take its next big leap into the $8 trillion credit market. TruFi gives lenders like you access to sustainable, high-yield opportunities backed by real-world investments, usually reserved for high-net-worth individuals. At the same time, fund managers use TruFi's financial infrastructure to bring their portfolios 
on-chain, benefiting from the global liquidity, cost savings, and transparency of DeFi. TrueFi is a decentralized financial utility. The protocol is owned and governed by the TrueFi DAO, and TrueFi is here to bring DeFi into the golden age, bridging the power and access of crypto with institutional-grade lending opportunities and portfolio tooling. Explore the diverse financial opportunities available on TrueFi or launch your own portfolio at TrueFi.io. And we're back with Stephen and Preston. Stephen from Arbitrum, Preston from Prismatic Labs. Uh, and uh, I did, I think, like something like 10 or 11 interviews at DevCon, and one of them was with Vitalik, and I asked him about a whole range of subjects. One of them was this announcement, and this announcement being one of the bigger announcements, perhaps the biggest announcement that happened at DevCon. Uh, and I asked, I asked Vitalik his thoughts about the, uh, the uh, acquisition of Prismatic Labs by Arbitrum. And Steven, you were talking about how like, there's no bad guy here. And I, I really just think this, that, that angle is really emblematic by like, it's, there's a commercial entity acquiring like an open source entity. That's really like the angle that we're, we're taking here. Uh, and Vitalik's response was that um, there's, there's many, many nuances, right? Like on the optimism side of things, um, uh, it was Proto Lambda that I think went from the EF to optimism. Uh, and so that's while that's not the same thing as an actual like straight up acquisition, there has always been some sort of dynamic between layer two teams and layer ones. Uh, and so that was his thought about that is like, this is actually not completely unprecedented, although it is different with an acquisition. Uh, but then also I asked him the question of, okay, imagine that every single client team got acquired by uh, a layer two or some sort of commercial entity. And actually we had no clients left that were actually completely independent. Like what, what would that make him feel? And he's like, yes, but this is also a question of decentralization, right? Like it's okay that some commercial entities acquire some clients as long as it doesn't, you know, think of it like a client diversity, right? And so now we have like commercial diversity. And so we have, I think what actually might be the version of a commercial entity that actually is the closest thing to the Ethereum layer one possible, which is a layer two team. Uh, acquiring a layer one is actually the best version of a commercial entity to do that. And now we do have this like corner of Ethereum that is perpetually funded uh, by the closest thing possible that is a commercial entity to be aligned with the Ethereum layer one. And so as so I think his overall general take is that like, it's not so crazy. Uh, and, and also we can't have too much of it but also we should be grateful that we have this perpetual funding in the space. Uh, so Steven, no question, but those are the thoughts that I can remember from my interview with uh, Vitalik. What, what, what do you think about this? First, I'm looking forward to, uh, to uh, seeing the interview. That's first, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, I totally, you know, I, I agree with just about all of that, which is um, like you said, this is not, actually not unprecedented at all. Um, I don't know if, if actually, I think the thing that might've been unprecedented is that you had a team like Prismatic that wasn't really doing any sort of um, external development work or being or or, or other other had other other funding sources because a lot of the other layer you know the client teams they they do they do you know some of them do security auditing or they work for other layer twos already or they have developers that are so I think this is actually actually you know almost like you said there obviously are nuances with an acquisition but it's 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 definitely. Um, not unprecedented in principle of having these alignments. Um, and, and definitely, um, you know, one learning that I had actually was, you know, to me, you know, while we discussed all these things, it was clear that we were obviously, you know, the good guys and very much value aligned. And I realized, 
you know, with all this thing that maybe we need to talk more about our values and, and make sure that people know how Ethereum aligned we are and, and, and that those values um, exist. Not that there are people that are doubting those, just to make sure that people, you know, proactively know those values and that we have, you know, full, full Ethereum alignment. Um, I do agree with, uh, you know, Vitalik that having a diversity is, is very, very important. Um, you know, having Arbitrum's view, but also our competitor's view and also, um, independent teams and also teams that come from just completely different angles of the ecosystem that's that's where the where the important is you know in general diversity uh, of opinions and diversity of views is going to bring forward the best product and so yeah it's, it's a fair question to ask when two teams come together and you have a little less diversity because you know previously you had arbitrum's voice and remember we already had a voice uh, but our prismatic's voice is separate entities now they're one definitely but you also solve another problem in which um prismatic is now well funded and, and those voices are um, still remaining independent um, because of our of our commitment, of course, but now have actually more time to dedicate uh, to that development. Um, and I think one other one other one other point, and this is more of a meta point, um, which the community has to think about, is um, what does public good funding goods funding look like? Where does it come from? And you know, I think this is actually a big success for that in, in us funding funding in, in us funding a, a development team. But those who may say, you know, we want these independent teams as well. I, I agree with them, those are important, but I think it's important to think about how are those funded. And if th that funding, by the way, comes, you know, if you if it comes from a particular source, does that independence really exist anyway, right? So you can have, you know, those same questions even short of an acquisition. If there's, you know, uh, one team that's funding a client team exclusively and they're sort of the lifeline, you have some of these same qu questions. So um, I think there are really important questions here to be asked in general about public funding in a way that allows independence. Um, but what I can say is about this particular deal is this is um, of us obviously acqu acquiring the product and the team, but also us committed to um, giving them and maintaining their own voice in their own discord, um, their own developers. And the one thing I'll say about, um, you know, Preston's here, but Raul and the whole team, this very much wasn't an acquisition of a team that's like, Oh no, we need to be acquired, right? This was like a team that, like, literally, like weeks earlier, did you know the biggest event, you know, accomplished accomplish their goal, their their one of their first goals of, of the merge, and really was one of the the most successful teams, in, you know, uh, in play. And these are people of extremely high integrity, and it's not like you know this wasn't a fire sale. This was two teams that wanted to work together and thought through a lot of these very hard issues, and really believed that this was best for the ecosystem, and and continue to believe that. Do you know, okay, so one, one thing I was just thinking of on the backdrop of this, of course, like we've got two very values aligned, very Ethereum aligned organizations and kind of like them merging. Okay, cool. Get it. Like we've made the case for this, but what happens if like, um, Justin's son mm -hmm. goes and tries to acquire Geth. Okay. Uh, Do Kwan, you know, comes back and he raises a whole bunch of VC money and he goes and acquires, I don't know, the lighthouse team or something like this. Um, has Arbitrum just opened up the floodgates for like client team acquisitions? And I'm wondering, Preston, if if like you think we have a defense here. And like my inkling is the defense always goes back to layer zero, like the people. It goes back to like, are the core devs for any amount of money or for any offer going to actually work on something they don't believe on in? And the evidence for that is probably no, because they're already doing what they do and they could go work in Silicon Valley, make higher salaries. They could go like launch ETH competitor number five and get VC funded and like, you know, bank out that way. 
So my inclination is we're still ultimately protected by layer zero, which is like people who actually believe in the thing that we're building and the kind of the right to fork and the right to continue on that belief system. But is this, is this instinct correct? I mean, put us in the mind of a, a core dev. Is that our protection here? What's to prevent uh, Geth from being acquired by um, someone who would mean harm to the Ethereum ecosystem? I definitely agree with that, right? Like we had, you know, in Prismatic's journey, we had entertained the idea and sort of considered, you know, what are alternative sources of funding? But when it wasn't Ethereum, it just wasn't something we were interested in. And I think what's cool about uh, our team and, and, and people like Prismatic is that we didn't, we didn't come here to make money. We just came here to solve hard problems, problems that you, you can't Google the answer. You can't just look it up. Problems that have extremely high impact. Ethereum aims to be the biggest um, technology, you know, you know, ever maybe perhaps it wants to be a global settlement layer and to be able to work on that is extremely attractive to a, a lot of engineers. I, I would even go as far to say as there, there, there wasn't a, a dollar amount that you could have said to, to pull us away from Ethereum. That's something we always wanted to work on. And I feel like with other core developers, they must share the same mindset because a lot of times this is really hard work. Sometimes it is a thankless job. Sometimes it is difficult uh, to do, especially to be so decentralized. It is very difficult work, um, but it is also extremely rewarding and 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 very fun. So uh, you know that layer zero, what you're talking about, it's like we believe in Ethereum, and and that's why we're here. Um, and I know that every core developer is aligned in that. So I just want to ask some some direct questions that just make this conversation really really explicit. Like Stephen, do you think this acquisition of of um, of Prismatic Labs th this makes Arbitrum like a a maintainer of like core critical Ethereum infrastructure? And then does it does it also would you say like give Arbitrum more direct representation in like Ethereum soft governance. It's it's a little bit like if you think like the core devs of Ethereum and like the the, the biweekly dev calls as like kind of like the Congress of Ethereum where like they like decide on things and hopefully the community accepts them. Uh, do you think like now Arbitrum has like a more direct access to what's going on in these conversations? Um, Arbitrum has obviously is fun as teammates um, that we are you know, committed to uh, funding their work that are obviously part of those conversations. Yes, so definitely um, we do have um, more representation there, but I think um, the teammates have um, agreed to represent their values, which which are the values that we, the reasons why we chose to join forces with them because we believed in those. And and again, right now, I think those values are fully aligned, but, but, but you know, as, as Preston just said, there, there was no, there was no dollar amount that could that could make those values change, and you know, I, you know, as you heard Preston's story earlier, when he had a job somewhere else, he was working up, you know, getting up early, working late. That wasn't where you know that wasn't where 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 their 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 hearts were, and there were lots of there were no shortage of shortage of other things they could do if they you know if, they, if their goal was taking home a large paycheck at the end of the day. So, yes, of course, we're represented um, at this point. I think you know I don't see a difference in 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 our in our values that 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 idea hasn't hasn't emerged that that sort of point where we'd want a and they want b but um I'm confident that Preston would follow um 
you know, his belief, you know, this is his life's work. And when I say Preston, it's Preston, Raul, Terrence, Nishant, the whole team, you know, I would want them to, to operate as such. And by the way, that's how I would want all of our developers, uh, you know, all of off-chain's earlier developers as well. Like if, if our, our best check to make sure that we remain non-evil as an organization, which I strongly believe we are, is the people internally, the people that care. And that includes the ball of prismatics developers, but also all of off-chain, off-chain's developers. And I think that we all, um, very much try to participate and listen to the community. And um, I don't think that will change at all. Yeah, and, and I do t- definitely take the point that having the PRISM team is an even more powerful check uh, on on Arbitrum like internally because uh, these, like we said, like these core devs uh, won't do anything else other than work on Ethereum. Uh, and so the fact that, that this deal was inked and the handshake was made, I think is indicative of, of the alignment here. Uh, and so I, I want to ask that question. Uh, what was Prismatic Labs worth? Well, what was the size of that deal? Uh, how much was actually handed over? How much was actually paid for? Stephen, that, that, one's, that one's for you. Yeah, so I'm not going to say the exact financial terms, but I think the principle is, is, is what we're, we're, is what we're got, getting at here. It wasn't what was Prismatic Labs was worth. It was also who Prismatic Labs would take an offer from, right? I'm sure that there were, you know, to your point before, there are people in other ecosystems that, um, you know, that that would wanted to build some alignment, and these might have been different. Different um, for us, it was very much um, the alignment first, and the alignment that that drove this. And you know, not to repeat myself, but going to repeat myself, <laughs> uh, you know, these weren't, wasn't a team that was looking for, for an exit or needed an exit in any way. This is a team that was looking for the best way to continue to do the work that they love in the most, you know, pure way in a way that they didn't have to deal with certain overheads that, that are cumbersome. And, and trust me, I, as, as a former developer in my day, I know a lot about, about this overhead. Um, and I, I no longer, um, do as much technical work as I, as I once did. Um, so I can very, very much relate, um, but that's what sort of led the deal. So it's a long way of, of declining to answer, but I hope that I provided some useful context. Sure, of course. And one of the things that got me into Ethereum in this first in the first place was this whole kind of like theoretical vibe of a regenerative financial system where we could fund things that are harder to fund. And so when I see good guys like Preston and everyone at the, as the prismatic team getting a payday for their, their, uh, like their sweat and toil and, and blood, sweat and tears into building Ethereum. Uh, that makes me happy and is definitely illustrative of, of why we're here in the first place. So Preston and all of the prismatic team, congrats, <laughs> congrats guys. Yeah. Thank you. So I think, uh, my last question will fulfill my commitment to the YouTube chat here. Uh, Steven, uh, when ARB token, Stay tuned, but no comment today. <laughs> there you go, chat. That's all we got. <laughs> I do appreciate the energy of the chat, and uh, I'm glad that um, that yeah, that you are staying, uh, you know, keep, keeping us uh, keeping us in check and asking the important questions. Well, when you uh, when when you do decide to release any information about that, just uh, make make sure you look us up there, Stephen, because I think you got a chat room that'd be really excited. Um, Stephen Preston. Congrats on the acquisition. It's been great to have you. Thank you for explaining this next exciting chapter of uh, Prism development and Ethereum core development. We appreciate you guys coming on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks so much.
Guys, of course, got to end with our usual disclaimer. None of this has been financial advice. ETH is risky, so is crypto. The entire ecosystem is risky, so is DeFi. You could definitely lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.